This is the PowerShell Podcast. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. PowerShell Podcast. A production of PDQ.com. Making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey everybody, welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm mediocre host Jordan with Ultra Mega Superstar co-host Andrew Plaw. And today we have... Uh, special guest Dan Franciscus, who probably without realizing it, you've read some of the stuff he's written on PowerShell. Hopefully, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah a couple years ago, at least. Yeah, it's it's been a while. So, I, yeah, I mean, um, I've been sort of out of the community for like two years, um, just kind of focusing on work, you know, and family and stuff like that. So it's been, I was writing, I was putting out a lot of content um, up until about two years ago. Um, I'm looking to get back into it now a little bit, starting some writing and stuff, but, um, you know, still using PowerShell obviously, and, um, you know, looking to talk some shop with you guys. So there's a lot of cool stuff that's been happening in your life and I want to get to it, but before we get there, let's go take us way back. Where were you in your career in life when you first got into PowerShell and kind of went through that? Oh, Hey, this is super cool. Wow. I'm getting value from it. And then eventually writing and so on. Yeah, so um, my my story is probably somewhat typical to most, where um, I was like your prototypical Windows admin who didn't understand command line interfaces, didn't know how to program anything, and um, I ended up um, taking a job where I was really focused on Windows servers, right, managing those and, and whatnot. And the first project they gave me <clears throat> at this time, this is back in 2011 or so. The first project was we need to move all of our mailboxes, which was, you know, I think 10 or 15,000 from on-prem to what at that point was, um, they called it live at EDU, but it was really Office 365. It was, like, it was like one of the first iterations, but specific to universities. So it was, it was university at the time. Um, so they said, you know, we need to move all this stuff over into the cloud. At that time, it was actually free for universities. I don't know if it still is. So it was like kind of a no-brainer. It's like, well, you might as well just Push your stuff into the cloud. You could use mail there and everything else. And so I was like, okay. Um, and so I started to do the research about how we're going to do this, right? And obviously, you want to move people fairly quickly over a couple of months, you know, two to three months uh, of a time period. And of course, you start to put it, you start to lay out the project. And you're like, okay, if I'm going to move, you know, th- these uh, mailboxes, we want to do like 500 a night. How is that going to work, right? I mean, that's a lot of clicking, and it's probably not the best way to go about it. And so, you know, the, the Microsoft documentation at that point, um, it had some PowerShell in it. It had, um, you know, basically the, the method on how to move them through PowerShell. And so I had to kind of learn it. And I, and I was like, let, let me just take this time to learn a little bit of the, of the language, see if I can kind of uh, come up with a, a, a script and a process to use. And so where I started was, um, you know, when I Googled like PowerShell books to use, uh, the month of lunches was the one that came up for me. That was by I think Don Jones and Jeff Hex, if I recall. And so um, I really took the time to like go through that book, which is um, unusual for me. I don't usually read books like kind of end to end and kind of go through the process because that one is like you read a chapter, you do an exercise, you kind of learn hands on. And uh and so I, I did the whole thing and actually I found it to be a, a great book for one. And then 
it was a, a great stepping stone to learn the language. So I, I learned enough to like take this process, build out how we're going to migrate these mailboxes every night and, um, and went through the exercise and actually did it. And then from there, like that was, the, the, I think for me, how I learn is I need to solve a problem with something and then I do it and then I'll, I'll learn it that way. And so, um, once I did that and I was like, well, you can take this and apply it to so many things you're doing at work. Right. That's, that's kind of a no brainer. And then, uh, I just was like, I was so blown away at what you could do with it. I was like, I need to start using this every day. And then you just said, like, for me, it was like, let me look at my own responsibilities and tasks, how I'm managing infrastructure and just start automating all these things. So I don't have to do them every day. Um, and it kind of just started from there. It just, um, ever since then, um, I've been using it, uh, most days for sure. Yeah. Nice. I think with exchange is the, is the one area where it's mandatory. You learn PowerShell. I mean, I feel like it should be mandatory no matter what you're doing for system administration, but that's the one where you can't do your full job unless you know some PowerShell. Yeah. I think that was my first exposure to it. So if I'm thinking back, like when I think it was exchange 07, where they had like, the first PowerShell module. So I got exposed to it a little bit there when you had to do certain things you couldn't do through a GUI. Um, but uh, I never really learned it until I had to do a, a wider, a more uh, broader project with it. So you got into PowerShell, you started using it, read some books, went went through it. You know, that's kind of cool. I, I yeah. take reading books for granted frequently. Like I'll just read through it and move on. Uh, but really going through it, absorbing it, getting the value from it, and then turning it into some success at work. And then yeah. you started writing about it. When did you take it to the next level in that way, where you went from just empowering yourself to now reaching yeah. out there, doing some other stuff? So it's funny. So I, I initially started probably not too long after that. I was like, I, I made a blogger account and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm going to start writing about some of the things I'm doing. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of content at that point, but there's a lot more now. Um, but those those early articles were just terrible. If I look back then, the code was just not good at all. And after I learned a little bit more, I looked back, I'm like, yeah, I need to kind of redo this. So I kind of stopped for a while. And then <clears throat> what happened was uh, in 2017, um, I was looking to just kind of expand my skills a bit. So I'm like, let me go take a training in PowerShell, see what I can see, uh, see what I could find. And um, I ended up looking, uh, I forget the, the name of the company, but it was out in Phoenix. And they did a, a seven or a five-day uh, hands-on PowerShell training. And at that point, I had, I had not really known anybody um, in that community yet. So I, I was kind of like, um, I was going into it very naive. So um, I, I booked it and I went out to Phoenix. And I, I show up and sure enough, like the instructor is Jason Helmick. So... I walk in, I'm like, this is pretty cool. Um, I, I kind of knew his name from somewhere. I wasn't totally aware of who he was. And it was really just me and another student, which was really crazy. So um, it was five days of hands-on PowerShell training from, you know, who would end up being very involved in PowerShell, as we all know. Um, and it was just like the best experience, like just, you know, basically one-on-one -on -one for the most part, just learning and going through things and, uh, it was just a, an incredible experience. And then, so along that week, you know, we kind of get to know each other and, um, I was kind of, uh, I was trying to pick his brain. It's like, how did you get into the community? Cause I know he had written some books and done some content and he kind of gave me some tips about, you know, where to reach out to if you're interested. And then that was kind of my jumping off point where I started, um, 
just kind of reaching out to different sites, um, tech target for sysops and, um, you know, IP switch and others and, uh, just made some connections there and, and started writing. So, um, yeah, it was really, really cool. A really interesting, um, kind of the second wave of, uh, my, my development within that community. What were some highlights along that? You know, you mentioned some blogs. What for you? What were some times where you're like, "Wow, this is a different level that I didn't know was out there." Like, I'm really kind of out here. Uh, I don't know, man. I, uh, <laughs> um, you know, so one one of the things I do re- remember is at Summit, um, and this was probably after I'd written a lot of content. It was back in 2019. There was um, there was like an after party, and uh, I, I'd walked in, and like someone, you know, was like. They're like, oh, I know you. Like, there's a bunch of people came up to me, and I was like, this is this is a, a very uh, kind of miniature celebrity kind of interaction thing. I was like, this is c- cool, but kind of weird too. Um, so that that was kind of like, well, I was um, in that community, right? We're, we're very kind of close knit, so people knew me, knew my name probably from Twitter and my other articles. But that was the, the first time I was like, okay, this is interesting, and it's uh, that that popular right now. I have definitely had my struggles whenever I first got blogging and stuff like that. Like uh, the thought of everyone looking at my work, you know, getting used to that took some time, but I mean, you were really out there putting out big posts, you know, Uh, you really show up in a lot of Google results and then getting to speak at summit and taking all those successes. And, but you mentioned eventually kind of getting tired and and ran out with that. Um, What was that experience like? And and where'd you go from there? (laughs) Yeah, so I did writing. I did a lot of writing for about two years straight, and I had a, a lot of um, you know clients t- to me, which are just sites, right, tech target, etc. Um, and at first, I loved doing it because it was just you know you get that, that dopamine hit of putting out new content and people reacting to it and talking about it and stuff. It's it's kind of fun just to do it. Um, I like the process of just um, kind of learning something new, thinking about a different. Um, different way to use PowerShell or whatever I was writing about and, and, and doing that. Um, but then it became like a job, <laughs> unfortunately. And it was like, I had, um, I was sort of, I kind of overextended myself, I think, you know, I, I was really writing like four or five articles a month at least. And it was taking up a lot of time and, you know, I had kids and trying to do a full-time job in that. Um, it became more of a burden than it was, something I enjoyed. And so I, I took a step back, you know, and I've been there for about two or three years. I think I'm looking to get back into it a little bit now. Um, so it was, it was one of those things where I, I loved it, but it became like I had to hit deadlines for things. Um, and it was like, okay, I, you know, I need to kind of manage my work here and uh, just kind of burn me out a little bit, I guess, you know, I had to take a step back. So. Yeah. I can definitely understand how that would burn you out. And I also recall, you know, you were really putting all this work out there, but you never got that MVP, which I really thought you should have gotten. Um, yeah, yeah. So I used to joke about that on Twitter a lot. Um, that, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I thought there was a couple of times where I put out enough content or I, I was um, doing enough work that it was probably warranted. But, you know, it, it was never really a serious, like, you know, uh, downer that I didn't get it. It would have been cool for sure. And it's it's nice to put that, you know, tag in your, in your, your Twitter profile and stuff like that, or your LinkedIn. 
Um, but it yeah, never just worked out, you know, so it's just one of those things. That, you know. I'm keeping your experience close to my heart because, uh, you know, I'm trying to set my expectations thusly because as of yet, we're not on that list either. So well, we don't good. have, we don't have a year yet. Yeah. It says oh. you have to have a year of content. We've been out here for a while. Yeah. Well, I think I have a pretty good shot. And I think, um, you've had, you've had some great guests. I think you're doing some interesting things. So I will, I'll put my vote in, although it doesn't really count. I'm not MVP, but if I had a vote in for you. <laughs> 2023 is a good year for us. We got some great guests like yeah. you. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So you stopped writing for a while, but then it looks like four days ago, you got, you got a whole new writing venture up and running. Like you're, you're, are you getting back in the game or is it? So, yeah. So it's, so two things happened. One is my blog actually was down for, I don't know how long, probably months. And I was like, let me just bring it back up. It was on, on my uh, WordPress hosted site. And so I got that back up. And I also, so I'm, I'm also ventured into, um, you know, digital experience stuff. That's, that's kind of what I do now. That, that has something to do with PowerShell for sure. But um, I created a Substack called Dexstack um, that I'm going to start doing some content on as well. This is a little bit different because it's not just PowerShell. It'll be, um, you know, more of the, the digital experience for employees uh, within enterprises. So um, interested in kind of, to kind of start putting some things out there. That will not be paid though. Like I'm not looking for subscriptions or anything. It's just for my own enjoyment, like some of my ideas and my, um, and the, my practical use cases of how I've uh, been in that space for a little while. It seems like you've identified that when you write about things, you learn a lot. It's kind of a, a method you can use to both share things and learn things. Um, yeah. I'm kind of learning some stuff from you right now. Just listening and kind of reading between the lines of some, yeah. some ways I should be changing the way I approach things. Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> so digital experience, what is this? Can you break it down for us? I mean, I can kind of guess. I know what developer experience, user experience. Yeah. Well, I guess it's kind of user experience, right? And I think this area um, is mostly in larger enterprises where um, it's focused really on end user devices and experience. So your experience with your, your uh, you know, uh, company-given device your experience with their uh, applications, et cetera. So it's it's about um, really collecting data for that and analyzing it. So things like system crashes and um, you know uh, very slow web applications that users are are utilizing adoption. Um, and we're doing a lot of analytics on those things. And then ultimately, what we like to do um, is the, the the typical use case is we're, we're going to find some things that are happening within the enterprise that are not good for users, that this thing is just, this application is not working and what can we do about it, right? So that's where PowerShell comes into play. So most of these platforms um, are, uh, you know, have PowerShell sort of integrated into that. So you're building scripts to say, okay, we have these users uh, say that we, we need to uh, find the users who are on this version of Zoom or something. We need to push this Zoom package out to them. Uh, so it's very much focused on the data that's happening on users' devices, what's, what's going on, and then how can you leverage that to intelligently uh, find them and fix their issues for them. That's kind of a one, one major thing. So um, that's where, I mean, my experience with PowerShell kind of got me this job, right? So that's, they didn't have that skill set. Um, and I, I was like, this is pretty interesting. Uh, it's a cool way to look at um, 
you know, how you're managing end user devices within your company. Uh, so it's it's been a pretty interesting experience so far. So if I'm understanding right, every company should care about this, but it sounds like probably only ones that are at a certain scale will have the resources to dedicate to something like this. Is that a fair assessment? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I don't know all the all the different um, players out there in this space, um, but it, it certainly makes sense when you have um, a large user base and a lot of devices, right? Where um, you know, historically, what IT support does, they're just looking at issues that come in through incidents, et cetera, and taking action on those. This is more proactive, where you're really looking at what is the, as far as we can measure, what's really happening to the end user. And then the bigger picture, yeah. Bigger picture, yeah. We, we can find those little clusters of issues that are happening um, and then, you know, take action on those. And that's where AI actually really comes into play. That's a, um, that's kind of the next wave of this, I think, is like, where do we use AI to find like anomalies that are happening out in the enterprise? You know, those devices and users um, that you, you can't just look at a dashboard sometimes and, and extract that kind of stuff. You know, AI can do that a, a better job for that. Like kind of noticing differences in trends and things like that? Exactly, yeah. So, so we, one of the things that we had built is um, we had looked at um, just blue screen occurrences, blue screen events are happening on devices. And we have a lot of them. So, um, you know, it, no matter what, we see a, a certain certain amount of those. And so one of the things we were concerned about is <clears throat> kind of a, a worst case scenario is what happens if we have a, a lot of devices starting to blue screen, right? How do we know about that? Sure, you can look at incidents, but how do we know which ones are happening? And so we, we built out um, a solution to use anomaly detection to say, for any kind of different type of blue screen, let's catch um, when historically that the number of devices that are having this increase to a certain amount and, and create an incident for that. So that we're not kind of on our, our back foot trying to figure out what is going on. We're kind of ahead of it. We know which ones are blue screening, why they're blue screening. Um, so we, th those are the type of scenarios now you can, solutions you can build out using AI in this space that uh, can be really valuable. So is the main purpose of this more for making sure all users are getting a uniform experience or is it kind of track things where if two departments have to use different software, you make sure that those software don't get in the way of them being able to work together? Well, kind of both. I mean, I think it's ultimately, to me, it comes down to productivity, right? So end, end users are using their devices to do work. Um, it's our our job to sort of get the issues out of the way so they don't have to try to fix them themselves, right? I mean, I think their, their application, they're just not working. Um, we need to kind of find those and find ways to resolve those um, without them having to do it themselves. You know, I think that, that the main thing is really being proactive and um, identifying those things. So I think if you just look at users who are complaining, right, you're going to, that's a small part of the picture. We know that, right? Because not everyone's going to, tell you that something's not working. But if you can uh, look at data that's actually showing you what's happening, they have a, a better chance of really looking at the reality of the experience and finding things before they become bigger issues, finding things to fix. So. I, I just like the opportunity to reach out to a user. Hey, we've noticed that this issue, this application has been having some issues and blow their mind that you're reaching out to them to fix it before they come to you. <laughs> that, that'd probably be a big win. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's that's where it gets very interesting. So, 
um, you know, part of the platform that we use too is you can not only run scripts, but you, you have like, I don't know if it's a uh, technically a, a toast notification, but it's something like that where you can, you run PowerShell, it brings up an interface to the end user and they, you can start to build out like a dialogue flow of an intelligent way to kind of interact with them, you know, um, and you know, with buttons and stuff that can do certain parts of the code. Uh, so that's, that's a really, uh, we, we started to leverage that a lot. We're, we're, so what one case is like, we're, we have a, a scenario where we're moving over, um, you know, users for a new company, we have to, uh, copy over some of their data. So we're using that to say, Hey, uh, do you mind if we copy files from these locations? They click yes. And we kind of continue on doing that. Uh, so it, it really gives you the opportunity to, uh, again, like make very intelligent interactions with the end user on their device. And focus on the digital experience. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like all departments should be valuing that, but having a dedicated, like, hey, these people are empowered to think about the big picture and not just worry about the day to day. You know, that's the other team's responsibilities, but having a team to kind of bring things together seems super useful and efficient. Yeah, I think it's, it's a growing trend. Um, if you look at like Forrester, they're really started, they have an entire department focused on this area, right? Evaluating solutions that do this. And you can tell like enterprises are, are interested because it's really moving away from reactive kind of uh, problem solving to let's use data, let's use analytics to um, understand what's really happening uh, to your employees and see where are the pain points and where there's friction points that we need to look out for and, and uh, resolve. So it, I used to work with a guy who was very big on, he called it full contact IT. Hmm. He's getting to push out what he wanted when he wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this feels like the, uh, the opposite version of, of that is uh, more of the making sure that you're not interrupting workflow for the people that yeah need it. Yeah. I've always kind of thought about IT like that where, um, I mean, ultimately you can reduce it to, whatever you're doing is going to get to an end user in some way or another. And so I think um, organizations and still do kind of just, um, they don't look into that closely enough probably and to really understand what's happening. Um, so this is an area where that's kind of what caught my eye. I was like, um, I've always had that uh, philosophy of um, the end user really is the, the key to this whole thing, right? Your, your internal employees, if you're an IT department, how, how they're, um, how they're productive and if there's anything that's it related that is not working for them you should probably know about that so it's a it's, it's a pretty cool space it's very up and coming i think it's going to be only become more prominent in the next couple of years i think it's been cool i've kind of noticed a trend of in general there being more of a focus on the experience um of you know like you're saying to uh the experience of your employees, but also developer experience and so on and so forth. You know, that's very important. And for me, it also comes with like a little bit of trust. Um, like, do you trust your devices? Is there a good, do you have a good relationship with your digital experience? Do you, you know, that kind of matters a lot, especially at scale with companies. Like um, they invest a lot in software and computers and employees majorly. So yeah, absolutely. And it's cool to hear how PowerShell played into it. I think. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh no, I was just saying. Yep, I agree. I, I think long term, it actually that might have uh, approach have a good impact on budgeting because a lot of times the only interaction IT has with anybody is when something's broken or not working. 
So having more positive interactions of, hey, we're, we need we need to get you this, this is a good time where they just get what they want with no interruption, I think changes a mindset where IT gets blamed for a lot of things that they shouldn't. And so having positive interaction, I think, is important. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that the reality, too, is in, in this space, when you're talking about this many devices and all that happens um, on a computer, we're really just managing chaos. You know what I mean? It's it's. We we have we have such little insight into what's really happening on a device, um, even with analytics and stuff. You you know that it's sort of just uh, totally out of control, and we're you're just trying to find some sort of semblance of um, of control of reality of what's actually happening, where where you can help users, um, because you know that there's a million things that happen on a device uh, at any given day, and that's scaled across all the devices. Um, and the more data you can collect, the more insights you can get. Um, you're just trying to control that chaos to a certain degree. So you mentioned being interested in your new role and PowerShell played a role into you getting the job. But what about the writing? Did you find that it really proved that you were an expert and kind of made the process a little bit easier? Or at the very least, did you feel confident knowing that, you know, I'm really out here doing this? <laughs> um, you know, I don't know how confident I ever really got. And the reason for that is... Uh, you, you can look at your own content and feel like it's it's really good, and there were some interesting things I put out. But then you go to Summit, and then you watch people get up there, and you go, "Oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing." I, you watch people like um, you know uh, Mateus and um, you know uh, you know Josh Duffney and these other guys who just um, they to me they're just so much more advanced than I am in certain areas. You know, I think everyone has their niches within PowerShell and, and just automation in general. Um, but I've always, w whenever I've gone to, to Summit, I leave very humbled and realizing uh, there's a lot that I don't know, you know? So I, I never fairly, I never felt comfortable being like, I'm the expert on this. You know, I'm just, um, cause I'm just too aware of what I don't know based on what I'm watching other people talk about and, and write about and, and do so. Um, I don't, I don't get to my ego too much like that. So that was something I, I really liked Chrissy's, uh, Christian Miller's take on that, which was, she had the same thing. There's, I'm well aware of what I don't know, but it, uh, her approach was, you know, that whoever I'm talking to isn't expert on everything either. So instead mm -hmm. of being the, I don't know this, it's, we each know our own components. We can work well together. It, it seemed like a really healthy approach to avoiding imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to avoid it. I still fall into it for sure. Um, Hard I think not it's, to. Exactly. It's one of those things that, especially a community like this, when you know um, you interact with the next, enough folks to, you're going to, um, you're going to have conversations where you're just, uh, it's a little bit over your head. You can understand to a certain degree, but they're talking about things like, well, like you're, you're, you're beyond what I've done and what I can kind of speak to, which is, um, which is great because it's, you learn things for sure. Um, and I think that's an always, the always key is if you don't, even if you feel a little bit uncomfortable, you're going to learn something, which is great. For me in the beginning, one of my favorite things about Summit was just seeing how people approached things, seeing how they talked about things, seeing how they communicated these ideas. And like you're saying, I didn't follow all of it all the time, but I learned that there are levels to this. And, and there's kind of a future and having those experiences kind of gave me something to model what I wanted to do. And it's very useful. I'm very fortunate for this PowerShell community. 
Yeah, and I, I think it's, I've met some great people, um, uh, some, some good friends. I mean, in general too, I mean, I don't know if your experience, but um, almost everyone I've met is, uh, is a, a great person to talk to, friendly, nice, always willing to help. Um, you know, there's not a whole lot of ego there. It's just kind of, we're all loving this, loving this thing that we're doing, trying to share it, trying to learn. So it's, it's a very, I think a positive community. I mean, the, the conference itself, like I've been to other conferences, um, outside of summit and the other ones I've been to were always, um, it left me just kind of wanting more, you know? And, and it was like, this was cool. It was just still a whole lot of people and sales pitches and, and all that summit was more like these are mo- almost everyone's really technical, right? Everyone's really just um, presenting on technical subjects and, and what they've done. Um, and it's just a great experience. And I'm, I'm considering going this year again, for sure. Cause I just, I've, I missed it for a couple of years, but I uh, highly recommend anyone who kind of wants to learn PowerShell, just get involved in the community, learn. Um, there's not a better place to do that. I think. I think it's really awesome because everyone at Summit has a certain amount of a shared experience internally that's hard to explain to maybe your partner or other people in your life, but we know what it's like. Even if you're early on in the in the journey or later on in the career, um, we know what it's like to learn PowerShell, to see the impact it has, to feel how empowering it is to get over that hurdle and to be using it and implement it. And for so many of us, the next steps that we take, whether it be getting more involved in the community and finding some purpose there, blogging, speaking at conferences, so on and so forth, which leads people to really awesome places. And it sounds like you're another example of just started at one place, ended up in a, in a completely different place that didn't even exist back then. Yeah, no, it's true. I think I, um, I never <laughs> probably anticipated going from there to sort of this experience space, you know, but I think it's, um, it, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of bridges from PowerShell to other things, you know, that people may not be aware of. And I think, um, even, you know, AI and digital experience and, and things like that, there's, there is that bridge there for sure. And I think that's going to be there for a while. So can we talk about chat GPT a little bit? Sure. Love to. So have you been playing with it? Where are you? Are Were you familiar with AI stuff before ChatGPT? Are you new to the train? Because I'm pretty sure I've, I've seen some AI stuff from you for a while now. Um, yeah, so I have a little bit of a... So I took... Um, my, my first exposure to AI was really in grad school. So that's back in like 2012. I, I took two classes that were really great and really, um, really piqued my interest in, in learning more. And it was from a, a great professor. Um, and I kind of put it down for a while because it just wasn't my job, right? And, and then, you know, if you don't have problems to solve with something, you kind of don't use it. Um, and so um, in this role, I am using it. Right? I'm, I'm not so much on the deep technical side, but there's components to it that I'm using. I'm trying to learn a little bit more. Um, but I'm actually, so one of the things that I own is our, uh, our chatbot internally, so our IT support chatbot. So I'm very, I've been uh, over the last year in this role um, and I've, I've learned a little bit about uh, chatbots just in general. And so when chat uh, GPT came out, <clears throat> um, I was, you know, I, I, I immediately was like, this is pretty crazy. You know, I think um, 
it's I'm blown away for sure. And again, I'm not an expert in chatbots, but I think from my experience and what, the way I've been using it, um, especially when it comes to PowerShell, I think anyone who's started to play around with the code completion and things like that, you could see sort of where this is going, right? You can you can literally type out, hey, I need to create a script and that does uh, X, Y, and Z um, in language, right? And it'll do it for you. And um, it may not be absolutely perfect every time, but at the very least, you can do some pretty complex things and it'll give you the, you know, at least a, a template to start off with, which you wouldn't have before. So I've been totally blown away by it. Um, uh, so especially the code, but even just asking it normal questions. And I, mean, I had, um, I had, uh, there was, there was one night, um, after I started using it where, you know, there are nights where I will tell my son, he's four years old. I'll, I'll tell him like a bedtime story, just a, a random thing I've come up with. And so I asked it, I'm like, tell me a story about, you know, a, uh, a cat called Mr. Bojangles that will, <laughs> you know, the, I kind of gave it the outline and it spit out, you know, a couple paragraphs of a story. And so that it's just, to me, it's just totally blowing me away. You know, that was something I hadn't touched, but I was on vacation for, for about a week and a person I do a webcast with that's a seasoned sysadmin, but new to PowerShell and automation use chat BT asking a question saying, how do I build an, basically an offboarding script for employees to automate? Cause it's with no experience. And she got it. She had everything she wanted to do based on, all the all the touch points she wanted to touch, but she didn't know if it worked. So yeah. she came back and like uh, when I logged back in for the first time of the vacation, she sent me a script said, "Hey, would this work?" And yeah. absolutely, it it would have worked. It would have required some credentials, but yeah. I mean, if you're giving your credentials to AI, you've got bigger mistakes you've made. <laughs> but someone who didn't know PowerShell had a completely functioning script for an important role, which. Uh, the the takeaway for that is more of a use it as a learning tool because yeah. uh, she came to me and talked to me after we went over it and she and I broke down what everything it was doing and she understood at that point, which is great for learning. But for someone to not know PowerShell to have something that functional seemed like a huge win. Like a, that's a great teaching tool. Yeah, it's it's also <laughs> I know security um, people in the security space are definitely worried because I, I think I read one article recently that. People were writing, you know, malicious code to to generate through uh, through the tool. So I'm not surprised by that. That it's it's you know you're going to get the good with the bad, right? I mean, the bottom line is it can it can do things that um, anyone can can ask it to do right now at least. Um, So it's it's a great learning tool for sure. Like I've started to write some Python stuff in there, um, which is really cool. So. Even with some you know, machine learning stuff, I, I say, give me a, a Python script that will take this list of, um, you know, uh, questions from a user and make some do some machine learning stuff, and it does it. And it's just, um, yeah, it's just uh, the the sky is the limit. It seems like for for what's happening there. We've seen where it does things like it will make up modules that don't exist, and like there's some things. The the yeah. the main takeaway is. Don't ever just run anything that Chat GPT wrote for you. Like, read it and know what you're running. That's that should be a common practice across the board. But that, that, that's a big one. Don't just trust that what you have there is going to work. Yeah, I've seen. So I've seen it make some assumptions for sure about things that exist that don't really exist, um, which um, can still kind of show you. Oh, okay, I need to. I need to create a function for this because th- this doesn't exist. That will do this, you know. But um, 
Yeah, so it's not perfect, right? And, and AI is not perfect. And no AI is perfect. It just doesn't exist. That's kind of um, a fundamental flaw in, in, in what, uh, what AI can do. So we're talking about AI to generate some code, which is cool. But I'm more interested in the text answers. You mentioned the chatbot earlier, but how do you see these AI digital experience tools being delivered to organizations? Is it in the browser application? Is it empowered Bing search maybe one day since you know Microsoft is investing in open AI? How do you view this kind of going down? Um, well, that's a good question. I think there's, so in terms of a support channel, right? We have text, right? So a user will come in, they will chat with our chatbot and try to get answers back. It'll help them. Um, there's voice too. So there's some companies out there, they're really looking at voice AI that does, <coughs> excuse me, a similar thing where, um, user will ask, you know, um, can you, you know, tell me what my, when my paycheck is going to be next time or something, and it'll come back with an answer. I think, so the, the voice is kind of an emerging area where users will get. So I think even, even, to, um, even for developers, really, if you had an interface where, you would say, you know, um, you just talk to your computer, write, write me a script that uh, does X, Y, Z, and it'll spit it out, right? So I think the channels is, is an emerging place where it's not text to a computer is somewhat easier than voice. Voice, you have to translate to text technically and then kind of do AI on top of that. But I think voice is one where um, we'll probably see some more interesting things coming out soon. I can imagine a situation where you just are talking all day and you have a special paste that will paste whatever the AI generated kind of deal. Oh, that sounds, I, I'm into talking to my computer and having it, you know, dictate my voice or whatever, transcribe it. Um, just cause sometimes it typing too much. I just want to like hang out. So I, I'd be very curious to have like my little headset on and just have my little voice talking to me. I could ask for a song change. I, I'm digging that. Cause it's pretty simple. It's still the AI in the background. It's just translating voice to text. Kind yeah. Of deal. But, yeah. I have a Google home and Alexa and stuff like that. And it's, um, yeah, it works pretty well for the most part. It's not perfect, but I think um, they're, they're only kind of advance their interfaces to other systems and, and make them uh, make the quality a little bit better. You know, so I think it's just it's going to just advance in terms of what you could really do with it, not just asking it, you know, what's the weather today? You know, I think really um, transactional things that you want to do um, that will be um, uh, more accurate than it is now. You know, I think that's probably where we're going pretty soon. Once the money starts flowing, I mean, there already is a lot of money in the space, but I think that there could be some very, very high level tools created that are going to have some widespread adoption. Curious to see where the space goes. Yeah. Um, and I haven't really thought about it much prior yeah. to you bringing it up here. So, yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting. Um, I'm, I'm always just interested in anything AI. And I think, you know, Microsoft is looking, seems like they're invested in, OpenAI, which is a chat GPT. Um, so I'm sure they have some really uh, interesting ideas about how to use it. I'm, I know they're, they'll come up with some cool stuff. And I think it's just going to be more, you're just going to find it in more and more places. I think that's what we're going to find. Any, anything you're using will have some sort of interface to use uh, an AI that will make your life a little bit easier. You know, I think we've, so one of the things I use is like, um, we use Power BI for visualization. And they've started to build in some things there, right? Doing, um, you could ask it a question about your your data set, you know, and we'll bring back an answer. So things like that, we're just, you're going to find it in so many places that aren't aren't traditionally uh, places where you'll find AI. That's what I, I think is probably going to happen soon. 
it's rare that I see a technology as a person who interacts with technology regularly, like we all are, right? We work with tech. It's rare that I see a technology that kind of blows my mind and I'm like, yo, this is quite promising. I will talk about this with people who don't work in technology. Because usually, you know, we'll chit chat about, oh, hey, have you seen this new thing from Microsoft or blah, blah, blah. But I would talk to my, I have actually talked to my neighbor about like, hey, have you heard anything yet about this? Because it's so promising. It's really cool. You know, you're going to have to think about this with your kids um, as they go through school and stuff because it's so good. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think the, the first day I started using it, I showed it to my mother-in-law, you know, who's completely, you know, not a, a technical person. And she was blown away. And that's how you really know, like, if someone like that, who doesn't really even care about chatbots or anything else is like, this is incredible. You, you know, it's pretty revolutionary. And, and then that, um, it's a kind of debatable if you go into the AI communities, like there's certain people who are like, oh, it's, there's nothing revolutionary about it. We've been doing it elsewhere. But I think the difference here is it's open to the public, right? So anyone can get onto it and start using it. They see what it can do, right? It may not be perfect. There may not be, there may be better implementations of this somewhere else, but everyone, and it was pretty genius what they did is they let anyone come in and start using it, which is, um, you know, you've, you've seen the usage go just skyrocket. So it's a, a really, I think it's going to be uh, a uh, really a milestone for AI, and what you're going to see going forward is this, you know, just uh, this is one of those things that's happened that you're, you're going to remember, you know. I think so too. So I, I know we already mentioned like the security concerns, but then you have artists that are concerned because AI drawing is like you can say I want this picture in the art style of pick your artist, and it's going to go in there. And then for school, how are you going to fight plagiarism? At this point, it's almost like you're going to need a completely separate idea, idea uh, AI that detects something that was most likely written by AI. Yeah, I think you've seen that already. I think there's there's one solution that's out there that is exactly that, where they're it's trying to detect. Um, and I guess not so much plagiarism. It's not, I'm not sure if it's plagiarism, but text or, or essay that's been generated by AI, which I'm very skeptical of. But I just don't know how. Um, I mean, I've, 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 I've generated some text where I look at it and like, I don't know how you can, how you can tell this is, uh, not from a person, you know? So, yeah. but that, so plagiarism, was, plagiarism was the wrong word, but you're definitely going to have students that aren't doing that work, which is the, that's an issue. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a big issue for sure. Yeah. I, mean, I think, um, I'm definitely concerned for my, uh, kids, uh, in school, if they're going to be using this, because it's just so tempting, probably to put in and, and uh, get back your answers. But shouldn't we also be preparing them to use a tool that, if it keeps growing, they'll be using it for their entire work life, regardless of industry, right? So finding a happy balance between the two. But I, I'll tell you what: if I was a kid again, the way that I was, I would um, not have learned as much in school. I was a terrible was student coming up now. I would have abused the crap out of ChatGPT. Absolutely. I, I would have been, I would have been doing so much with it. Um, and I would have absolutely, uh, no, no conscious about using it at all <laughs> at that point. If you're, when you're young and you're just trying to get homework done and stuff and, um, it's interesting. That's always it, my stance. If I pass the test, I don't care about the homework. So using something to do the homework for me, I would have been fine with. And I, th I think it's a challenge for educators, and I know we're getting a little off topic here, but it's a challenge for educators to make the children interested in what they're learning and invested. Because if you actually were interested and, and curious and feeling like you're connected with what you're learning, you'd probably do the assignment. 
Maybe it's a bad assignment. Maybe it's anyways. We're we're talking about school experience, right? We've gone a lot of experiences here. It just kind of goes like Chat GPT is going to change the game for just about everything eventually. It it just some some of them are a, a bit more uh, readily to be disrupted by it. Yeah, I, I agree. So I want to hear about how you use PowerShell to do things that you maybe traditionally shouldn't be using PowerShell for. You know, we know where it started, actually. So I was thinking about this today. Um, one of the, the, the things that happened in the last couple of years that interests me the most is when they, um, when they made it open source, right? When they made a cross-platform into Linux and Mac and stuff. And I think... Um, that's a perfect example of like uh, you can use it there. Um, many people, especially people who are um, prefer Linux, will not want you to use it there. But it's a great tool. I think that was a, that was a great idea for them to really um, make a bridge between people who know PowerShell and Windows to other OSs, right? So you can go in there and know that you don't have to learn Bash or um, or another language to kind of use that use that os and uh um i i've uh i see it just kind of growing hopefully you know i think it's it's one of those things that it's, it's there i haven't i don't know if you guys have a different experience i don't know how many people that have really come from the linux background specifically to to powershell i know some which uh, is great but it'd be cool to see more of uh those folks come over and say okay let me let me give this a try and and see if it's um, uh, a decent alternative to what I've been doing in Bash, et cetera. So, um, hmm. Jordan, that sounds like a challenge to us. How can we help bridge that gap in some way? Who do we need to interview? I don't know. Question for that's a homework assignment for us to figure out. But um, no, I haven't seen as many people coming from Linux. And in fact, occasionally uh, over the years, I've seen some Twitter threads where there are definitely some people of different communities um, who are hesitant to change and have some strong opinions. But that's all right. We're here to change some minds. And, and you know, if someone ha- wants to have an open perspective, we're here to show them some things. If not, you know, it's really okay if people have their tool and it works really well for them and they don't want to invest more time in learning other stuff. If they don't have to, if that's what they're used, okay, there's nothing wrong with it. But yeah, I know the one person that comes to mind is um, Anthony Nocentino. So I don't know if you've, you've met him, but he was, um, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure, a strict Linux background in terms of what he was using. And, um, you know, they, they, they kind of branched out to him and uh, brought him in to do some PowerShell things. He's, he's presented a bunch of times at Summit, I think. And he's a, he's a good example of like, you know, a good faith person from Linux that's like, let me try this out and, and uh, see how it works and being objective about it, right? And not just saying it's, it's a Windows Microsoft product. I hate it. I don't want to use it. Get me out of here. Um, but I like to see more of that. I, I like to see those communities kind of merge a little bit. Um, because I've been in jobs where um, you have Windows and Linux folks, and there's there's always some bickering and some um, you know who's got it better and what what tools are better. So trying to merge those is, is an interesting space to be in. So I hope that hope that grows a little bit more in the next couple of years. I, I do know I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but we someone follows us on Twitter that their name is basically a reference to PowerShell on Linux. Yep, PowerShell and Linux. I think their other account is the Dementor or something like that. This is off of memory, so if you're listening right now, you know we're fans of you. 
And I mean, it's, it's a good lead on uh, who to bring in on this very topic. It is something that we haven't covered. So did we just, are we overachievers? Did we just do our own homework? We're talking about being slacker <laughs> students and we're here finishing the homework assignment before the class is over. Dang, Jordan. High school me would be very proud right now. Uh, high school me would have already checked out. <laughs> <laughs> Is, is it time for the, the, the dreaded, uh, the dreaded part that everyone is afraid of? Everyone is afraid of this part. I think it is. And then do you think that you can handle the common parameters? Common parameters? What is that exactly? It is three questions that everyone dreads ask answering, each one more difficult than the last. Sure. Hit me up. Let's go. All right. Question one. Uh, what's the time something went wrong while on the job? Uh, how did you fix it and what did you learn? Yeah, so um, the, the one thing that always comes to mind is it was my first role. And um, th this was a, a job that was very flat in terms of the IT department. There were, there were two guys. There were me and my friend. And um, we managed everything, servers, desktops, VMware, everything, networking, everything we had. Um, so you wore a lot of hats. It was a great learning experience for sure. but. Um, you know, I didn't know everything, right? You, you're going to make mistakes. So there was a, there was a time where um, I think we were using exclusively like Internet Explorer for browsers for our users. And they wanted to add in um, like three favorites into everyone's device, you know, for like the, probably the internet or something like that. I'm like, that's, that's fine. So um, you go into a GPO, you add those in. Well, I made the mistake of not realizing it was like a replace, right? So you're adding those in, you're removing everything they have existing. So I, I made this change and I wiped out everyone's favorites in the entire organization. Um, so it was, it, was, um, it was pretty rough for sure. I felt pretty bad about that. And, uh, and uh, it was, um, I didn't get in a whole lot of trouble, to be honest. They, they kind of understood that this, this organization was, was pretty cool about mistakes happening and, and not, kind of um, running people over the coals, et cetera. So it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't like a, a firing kind of uh, mistake, but I learned, you know, there is like, you've just got to test things, right? You have to read documentation, test in, in the test environment and make sure the result is what you would, um, what you would expect and understand if there's a, a backup plan to what you're doing. None of that was done, obviously. <laughs> it was, it was, okay, this looks cool. Let me click this button, click apply and, and go ahead. Um, so that's, that was a, a rough um, lesson to learn, which is you just got to test things beforehand. Do you know what I like about that one? Like on the grand scheme of things, it didn't break much, but it's extremely visible. So it feels really bad. But overall, ultimately, it's not a huge deal on a per-person basis. Like I, I like that one a lot. It's a, it's a bit uh, unique of a situation. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was the widespread part of it that was... Um, yeah. You realize like oh, there's there's no going back. That's that that happened. <laughs> that just happened. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, there's no way to recover them apparently. So, you know, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> kind of hampered their digital experience on that one. But hey, now look at you. You're making right with the world. We've come full circle. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, I've made up for that since then. Um, different people, but uh, you know, all users. Your impact on the world remains, man. That's right. Yeah. All right. Question two. It only it only gets worse from the first one. Yeah. With 
everything you know now, what's one thing you wish you could tell your younger self when you're first starting in IT? And you know, this is interesting. I mean, I don't have many regrets to be honest, and that's kind of where I would start this um, thought. But um, yeah, I think learning the fundamentals of things can uh, pay off over time, right? So a lot, a lot of times when I when I used to learn, it was like I would dabble in this, do some things, kind of move on without learning things a little bit more fundamental, even like the Windows operating system, right? You kind of use it, you're doing things, you may not know the underpinnings and the underlying uh, tech in that, but it, it's cool to kind of really dive into some of those things. And PowerShell is one of the things I did do that with. Like I, I really took more of a deep dive into that and, and learn it more in depth. And that can pay off in the end where you, you can apply that to other things and learn it easier. So I think choosing a couple things and trying to go deep into them and, and treat, really try to learn them in depth um, is a good exercise that I, I wish I would have done a little bit more when I was young. That's a good lesson because that's what I, that's one of the things I got from you, like reading between the lines earlier when you were talking was to really, I'm reading a book now, it's not even IT related, but really embrace it. Don't just read through it one time, really go through it, maybe take notes if you need to. Let that thing sink in because if it's a good book and it resonates with a lot of people and you find value in it uh, or what it, book, video, whatever, it's worth really letting that information sink into a deeper level. Yeah, it's hard to do. I'll be honest. I mean, I think um, it, it takes some real discipline sometimes to uh, remove distraction and really focus in on what you're trying to learn, right? And I, 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 like, I listened to your podcast with, with Josh Duff, and he kind of talked about that. Like, he, I've I've read his blog. I'm like, I don't know how this guy learns like this every day. I just couldn't do it. I'm just too scatterbrained, too undisciplined to do this. But I wish I had that in me more to really like, okay, I want to learn Python. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to dedicate this time to just going through the concepts, doing examples, and, and really trying to ingest what, what I'm trying to learn. But it's, it's a skill that, <clears throat> you know, especially in our space, if, if you can learn uh, you know, understand how you learn and do it well, you're going to do, you're going to do fine in your career, you know. Dropping wisdom for us. Thank you. Thank you. Keep it up. Love it. All right. But are you ready for the third question? Uh, I'm not sure. Let's, let's go for it. What's your three favorite modules? Yeah, this one's hard. I mean, because I've used so many, um, so many community modules over the years, I forget what they are. You know, sometimes you use them for a bit and, and forget. So that the ones that sort of come to mind. Um, recently, one of the ones I love, which is based on Chat GPT, is there's a there's a PowerShell AI one that Doug Fink has created, which I, I put on LinkedIn, which is super cool, right? You just it's a it's a just a, a wrap around. Uh, the chat GPT API, you put in a question and it brings back, you did do the, um, you do code completion and things like that. Um, so I thought that was super cool. And um, well, I think we'll, we'll be able to utilize that for the foreseeable future, I think. Um, uh, going back to my, my server side days, um, uh, PS Windows Update, I used to really like a lot because that gave you that really command line interface into installing updates on your, on your machines. So I did a lot of work with those, uh, with that module, really just automating and testing when I was patching servers, which was really cool. Saved me a lot of time. Um, and then another one that I, I use uh, recently is Import Excel, another one from Doug Fink, actually. So that's that's interacting with uh, Excel through PowerShell, which is um, 
if you have to do some uh, data analysis and uh, jobs that require you work with Excel files, it's a really uh, pretty cool module. Those those type of modules are like you know, it's not Active Directory, it's not like Power CLI. That like they're like kind of um, off the beaten path. You know, like what, what are you doing with this thing? You know, <laughs> I, I love that kind of those kind of modules that people create to kind of solve a problem that um, maybe not it's it's not for the uh, the mainstream, but there's people out there that need to do that. You know, so I've always loved loved those type of things that people create. And shout out, you know, in the future, I can't predict the future, but we do have a scheduled interview with our good friend Doug Fink um, coming up here soon. So that's great. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to it. That's awesome. Good little teaser. All right. Well, I, I do have some some bad news here. What's that? I I think that. Uh, I've never reused a shill hype, but wait, I did feel... we forget to press record? No, we're no, good. we're recording. No, no, I just, I've done a lot of, of uh, hyping up your ability to shill and I've never reused the information, but this one I'm about to do, I feel like I've used before. So I might be reusing something. And if so, I apologize. I know everyone listens to the end just to hear me hype up your ability to shill and I've let you down here. But the other day uh, I was actually asked chat GPT, you know, uh, what's the best way to, to shill a podcast? And all it said back was, ask Andrew. Uh, which is impressive because not only could it not build on his knowledge, but it hasn't been plugged in for 18 months, which is longer than he's been shilling. So even without the ability to do the research, AI still knows it can compete with Andrew's ability to show a product. Uh, uh, with that, take it away, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Jordan. I love it when you hype me up so much just so I can let them down gently. Um, so to our audience, thank you for listening. To our Jordan, thank you so much for everything. It's my turn to appreciate you. You're amazing, Jordan. Amazing introduction. Amazing shill lead-in. Thank you to our guest, Dan. Amazing. We're going to come back to you in a second. Don't worry. If you're on YouTube, give us a like, comment, and subscribe. And if you're watching right now, look, it's my cute little dog. If you like dogs and animals, go ahead and leave a comment too. Or hit the like button three times. I'll let you do that as well. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and write something nice too while you're at it. It gives a little message form. Why not fill it out? If you're on Spotify, there too is great. Um, you can also leave us a five-star review on any other uh, podcast platform. Email us, PowerShell at pdq.com. We love to hear from you. We want to hear where you're coming from. What's your story with PowerShell? What are you struggling with? We care. And you can also tweet us at PowerShellPod. Thank you so much to Dan for joining us. Dan, where can people find you? You got a website, you got a Twitter, you got a Substack. What's up? Well, I don't go on social media much anymore, um, but I think uh, uh, LinkedIn, you can find me, I guess, if you really want to reach out, or uh, you can check out my new Substack, so dexstack.substack.com. Uh, look for some content there. It should be coming uh, pretty soon. Thank, thank you very much for uh, dropping by. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for joining the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. They're serious. They mean what they're saying. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com.